while you were worshiping, I had, I, the Lord showed me something for you. There's something in your heart that is in, was in the heart of Mary that wanted to always sit at his feet. There's something in you that always wants to go to the throne the fastest. You're on a dead run to the throne when you worship. And people have criticized you in the past for this. And I'm telling you, it's the same thing that Jesus said to Mary. I will not take this away from her. What she has chosen is right. And I want to tell you, young woman, there's something in you that many will follow as you go to the throne. Don't hesitate. Don't, don't think about it a second time. Run to the throne because he loves when you come. And I love going with you. So thank you for taking us. That was free. No charge. No. That replaced Dr. Pepper's sweet tea. I didn't know you could carry 11 pounds of Dr. Pepper and sweet tea in six weeks, but I found out you can lose it in six weeks, too. Those of you that are drinking Dr. Pepper, I'm sorry. I heard something tonight. Um, I don't know who it's specifically for, but you're going to be really encouraged. What I heard the Holy Spirit say he wanted to do was there's somebody in the room, maybe more than one, because, I mean, this is not going to be a rocket science statement of what I'm about to make, but what it's, where it's going to take you to um, is really going to be a place of liberation. But I heard tonight that uh, someone here is really being over-harassed or overwhelmed by one of the tactics of the enemy. And we're going to expose that tonight, and you're actually going to be liberated to receive what the Father said he wanted to give you in the first place. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to go to Numbers chapter 13. I'm going to show you tonight what is the oldest trick of the enemy on believers. He continues to use it because it works. But I want to expose it to the nth degree so that you can see tonight, regardless of what, whatever you're facing, how the enemy is attacking what, you're, what you've heard from the Father. I'm going to show you in an Old Testament, I'm going to tell you in personal experience, and then I'm going to show you in New Testament. Anybody here being harassed by the enemy besides me? Well, that's good company, because if you're a Christian, he's coming. The enemy set up a, an original tactic in the garden, and I'll tell you about that in just a moment, that he used against Adam and Eve, but he's always continued to use it against the body of Christ. And I'm going to show you in, in this particular set of scriptures, Numbers chapter 13, verse 27, and then we'll pick up into 14 as well. What the, what the setup here is, is God has taken his children out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, into the wilderness, and now he's brought them right up to the doorstep of what he promised. 
Remember he said to Moses, I want you to go back. We're going to liberate the people from slavery. And from slavery, I'll lead them out. Not I'm going to leave them out. I'm going to bless the socks off of them. Then we're going to go over into this promised land. And it's a land filled with milk and honey. And I've got a place prepared for you as my people. That was the promise. You ever notice when you get a promise from the Lord, that's the first thing you need to get. Now, I have found a few Christians that say, I'm under attack. And I say, well, what's being attacked? I don't know. I'm just under attack. Well, do you have a promise? I don't know what you're talking about. You've already been had if you don't have a promise. See, this is what he's really after. He wants the relationship you have with the Father. He's trying to steal that. But in the relationship with the Father, the Father is always going to start illuminating promises. And when you get a promise that you're holding on, the enemy is always going to try to attack that. Why? One, he would like to kill your relationship with the Father. Two, he would like you to never receive what Dad's got for you. Yes? Okay. So they're standing at the doorstep of a promise. What was the promise? You're going to go into a land, and he's already named all the land. He already told them what's there. It's filled with milk and honey. Everything's great. So Moses gets this brilliant idea. He sends the top guy out of every tribe. Y'all nominate him. Whoever he is, he's going to win the award. He gets a free, all-expense paid trip into the promised land. You're supposed to smile when I, you know, crack things like that. Okay, lighten up tonight, all right? They go in, they find out is exactly what God said it was. Shocking, I know. They come back, they bring evidence of exactly what God said it would be. And they come back, and this is their report. They're talking to Moses and all of the children of Israel, and then they said this, verse 27. Then they told him and the congregation, we went into the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people uh, who dwell in this land, they're strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak and the Amalekites that dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites. You ever notice all these are with ites? Are we the rockites? Just kidding. I always thought that was funny. <clears throat> they dwell in the mountains, and then the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb stopped the report and said, let me tell you something. Then he quieted the people. Let us go at once, take possession, for we are able to overcome it. But the other men who had gone with him said this, we are not able to go against these people, for they are stronger than we are. They gave the children of Israel a bad report on the land which they had spied out, saying, the land which, uh, through which we have gone and spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw, the men that are in it, they're of great stature. Watch this. There are giants, the descendants of Anak, that came from the giants. We are like grasshoppers in their sight, in our own sight and also in their sight. Now, this is a report. 
Anybody ever been sent out to give a report maybe to your company? You had to go out and bring something back. Tell me what, you know, kind of examine some things. Go in your department, look in your department, tell me about And you bring back a report of what is actually taking place. This is all they're doing. Tell me in here, is there a lie? Did they report anything that was not true? Well, you could say right at the end, so we are in their sight. We are grasshoppers in our sight to them, so we are in their sight. That's a perception. It could have been twisted. That, that's possibly, they don't know what they were thinking. Okay? So that's, that's possible. Everything else was actually factual. It's true. There are giants in the land. All the places that he named that people were, they were there. They were very fortified as a city. Right? They're strong people. This looks like be tough to take. Isn't it amazing? Ten people come back with a report of what they've seen, and two guys come back with a different report of what they've seen. Now, I've been married for almost 33 years. We play a game in our household. It's called a game of unity. I don't know what you're playing as marriage, but we're playing a game of unity. Enemy's doing anything he can to get us out of unity, but we're in a game of unity to stay in it. So there's times Jenny has said, da, 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 and I'll say, oh, you meant da, 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 and she goes, no. I say, what do you mean, no? She goes, no, that's not what I said at all. I said, well, say it again. And she said, da, 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 and I say, oh, da, 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 and she goes, yes. About time you got that. Isn't it amazing when you can say one thing or see something, the perception of something can change. And the two people are at the same event. And how you don't see it. Does that ever amaze you how one sees it and one doesn't? That always fascinates me. I, always, I, I like the dynamics of relationship. I like the dynamics of, of life and how people see things. And, you know, it always just kind of like, really, you can't see that? No, I can't see that. Look again. What is the problem that they're facing here? The 10 come back with a bad report. What is the, what is the real problem that they're facing? Well, they, they don't believe, right? What causes them not to believe the promise of God? Got some circumstances that are bad, right? These are bad circumstances. These people are big. I don't know about you, but I measured up today, and I didn't come to their kneecap. These are some big people. These cities are fortified. These people are warriors. We've been slaves. We've been training to be warriors, what, for two weeks? Man, we're not looking so hot. But here was the first question I would ask. What is the difference in this place and where they were as a slave? Was Egypt just so much easier to get them out of, and now all of a sudden they've come to Jericho, and this just looks so much harder? I mean, was the Red Sea just like... Oh, this is so easy. I could have done this in my sleep. Why is this harder than going through the Red Sea? I mean, the last time I tried to get water out of a rock, it wasn't the easiest trick in the book. Oh, the manna from heaven. Now, that, that's not difficult, right? Or how about a million quail flying down in the valley so you can have some meat? Simple? Anybody been quail hunting? I've been quail hunting. They don't fly in flocks of a million. That would be way too easy. You shoot once, you got your limit, you go home. 
So why is this different now than it was back then? For the last few weeks, they have been on a quite a journey and been liberated, but all of a sudden, they've hit a brick wall. What did the ten see that the two didn't see, and what did the two see that the ten didn't see? Everything they said was right. They put their butt in the wrong place. Have you ever put your butt in the wrong place? Because you can do it. It's easy to put your butt in the wrong place, and when you do, it always gets your butt in trouble. You see what Caleb and Joshua saw? Isn't, uh, here's another amazing statement. Guess what? Can you remember the name of any of the ten? They didn't make the Hall of Fame, did they? You can only remember the name of the two that stood up for what God said, right? Nobody remembers the name of the ten. I don't know one name of the ten. I don't even know what tribes they came from. Well, watch this. They give a report that's accurate, but they never say, but God. Joshua and Caleb say, but God is able and we'll take it. They say, but God is not able. It's the moving of the but. But God or God is not able. You see the difference? What allowed them to be so convinced they couldn't take it? This is what I want to expose to you tonight. I want you to start watching circumstances in your life, circumstances that create around you, that begin to give you a different message than the one that you've already received in a promise. The enemy loves to take circumstances and mask the truth, but that's not all he's after. What is he really after? He's after a character assassination of the Father. He wants you to not know the real nature of the Father. That's all he's after in this. He doesn't want you to trust the nature of the Father. So you can't prove that in Scripture. Oh, yes, I can. I know somebody thought that, and I just wanted to address your thoughts, okay? <laughs> I want you to look at this. They come back, they give that report. Watch this. Look at Numbers 14. So this is what the people of the congregation heard. They gave a report. It was accurate, but they never said, but God could. They quieted Caleb. Hush, hush. We're not able to take this. I mean, we were able to do Egypt. We were able to do the Red Sea. We were they weren't. Nothing had changed. But now all of a sudden, we're not able, and they hadn't done anything. God had done it all for them. But all of a sudden, watch this. All the congregation lifted up their voice and cried out, and the people wept that night, and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, watch, because this is the key. I want to expose something to you tonight. It's in these statements. If we had only died in the land of Egypt, or if we had only died in the wilderness, and then here's the key statement. Why has the Lord brought us out, brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? You hear it in the statement? Who are they now accusing? What does that tell you? They do not trust God's nature. They do not trust God's character. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to hear me, and I want you to hear me well. This is what Satan is after. 
He wants at every turn, at every corner, at every moment to cast doubt on God to you. This is what he's really, really, really good at. You remember in the garden with Adam and Eve, he slid it up to Eve and he said what? I know God's made you a promise and you can't eat of that tree, but let me tell you, if you do, let me tell you why he doesn't want you to eat of that tree. He knows you'll be like him. What is he doing? He's casting doubt on the nature and the character of God. And what he found in 10 men is they were vulnerable through a set of circumstances that was motivated out of fear. It's always motivated out of fear. Fear of losing something, fear of not getting something is always fear. When you smell fear, you know who's present. God does not create fear. It, he, it's not in his nature. It's not in his character. When fear and intimidation and manipulation are present, you ought to be able to sniff that and go, hmm, I wonder who's in the house. When we got married, my wife was full of fear. I'm not uncovering her. She, she would tell you. Matter of fact, she's going to share next, weekend, uh, next Wednesday night. You're going to get to hear Paul Harvey and the rest of the story. So she said, I'm tired of you telling stories on me. I'm coming to talk. No, I asked her to speak. So next, next Wednesday night, she's going to come tell you her, her side and what, she, what she's seen. But she was full of fear. I was full of anger. How many of you know anger and fear are not a really good partner? That's why we had 13 years of hell. We had a horrible marriage for the first 13 years. Terrible. I would not recommend it for anyone. Do not sign up. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Go straight to hell. That's what you get. That's what we experienced. And then in the middle of that, by God. How many of you have ever been one of the ten? I'm raising my hand. Anybody ever been one of the ten? Yeah. It's not very hard to be one of the ten. Pretty easy. All you have to do is listen to fear and then start talking. Yeah, I mean, they're big. I mean, we're, we're, we're ants in their side. We're really small. I mean, they're fortified. They're going to kill all of us. I don't know why God brought us out here to kill us. Yeah, you know, just listen to that statement for a sec. Why God brought us out here to kill us? That's interesting to me. If he wanted to kill you, wouldn't he have killed you in Egypt? Hello? This ought to be a clue. Note to self, whoever I'm talking to right now is not a good companion. Whoever I'm listening to right now is not a good partner. Because they are twisting in line. If God wanted to kill, if that was his nature, if that was what is in his character, folks, he would never have taken them through the Red Sea. He'd have drowned every one of them in it. That was not what he was after. He was trying to liberate them, not hurt them. So easy to be one of the ten. Um, I've been one of the ten many times, a number of times. I don't have all night to tell you all the times I've been one of the ten but I'll tell you one of the specific instances, and this is where I began to note this specific tactic of the enemy and the way he works. And I'm going to keep repeating it over so that you can see it and you'll catch it. I was in the Baptist church. I was a youth pastor. I was 25 years old. And literally the scales fell off my eyes to read the rest of the word. And all of a sudden, I began to see things in Scripture that I'd never seen before. All of a sudden, there was life breathed into this body. It was in our first year of marriage. 
we'd already gone through, and we didn't, we kind of got to the point we didn't like each other to start with, and we were down that road, and about a year and a half into it, we were both pretty miserable, and all of a sudden, God visits me, and I start reading the rest of the word, and I start a five-year journey. I'm asking my pastors like this. I ask some questions in Baptist church. Um, it says here you lay hands on the sick and they get well. How come we don't do that? This is what I get. Not for today. Okay. It says here you can drink anything deadly and it will not hurt you. How come we don't see that? Because it's not for today. Okay. All right. All right. And then I flip over and says the Holy Spirit has nine gifts and he wants us to operate in these gifts. Man, I don't know anything about these gifts. Why can we don't talk about these? He goes, where are you going with this? I said, I'm reading the Bible. What's your problem? I'm reading the Bible. I want to know about these things. And he goes, they went away with apostles. Man, it must have been really good to be an apostle. Gosh, dog. Wish I could have been one of them guys. That sounds a lot more fun than what you and I are experiencing. He goes, just don't read it. This is my pastor. I said, excuse me? He said, just don't read it. I mean, you want me to cut it out of my Bible, just tear it out? He goes, no, you don't have to be that dramatic. You just don't read it. I said, well, it says here we can speak in tongues. How come we don't speak in tongues? He said, well, I tried that once. I said, you did? He goes, yeah, I asked for it, and the Lord didn't give it to me, so I know, I know it's not for today. Man, that's amazing. All of history changed with you. This is incredible. So I started this journey. Then I started listening to guys who had more life than my pastor. Always dangerous. And so he came to me and said, you need to make a decision. I said, "Mm mm-hmm. I do. He said, you need to decide whether you're going to stay in what we're doing and be safe and be blessed and go where God's going, or if you continue to listen to those other guys, we're we're not going to be able to fellowship anymore. And I'm very worried about you. I said, well, I've already made that decision. He said, no, I want you to stop listening to that. I said, you don't have a right to ask me that. He said, no, I'm your pastor. I said, I don't care who you are. You don't have a right to ask me who I can and can't listen to. They have life and you don't. So here's my resignation. And he looked at me with the meanest eyes that you can imagine him having. He said, your ministry is over right now. I said, you're right. And his starts right now. Not bad for a 25-year-old punk. I thought it was pretty good. I liked it. And I, I stayed six or seven more months and just loved them openly. I wasn't mad. I wasn't bitter. From the pulpit, he would mock me. This morning, I have brought to the pulpit some poison. You know, in Scripture, it says you can drink anything deadly and it won't hurt you. Do I have any volunteers who want to come up and drink? And then he looked right at me. And I go, I ain't inside. I'm going, I'm going to kill him. I am, I'm going to bury him backside, God. And I'm going to tell him that you just died. Uh-huh. And he's mocking me. I mean, I'm asking legitimate questions about Scripture, and now he's mocking me from the pulpit. And he won't give me any pulpit time to mock him back. Five years, my journey began. I got to the place that the Holy Spirit could just whisper, and I would stop. Yes, sir? Absolutely. 
I am so sorry. I, I will go right back and do that right now. It didn't, I mean, it, was, it didn't take a loud voice. It was just a whisper. Jeff. Yes, sir. For five years, I walked like this. We saw some of the most miraculous things you've ever seen. Uh, we, we, <laughs> when I resigned, you know, I lost my income. Normally, when you don't work, you don't get paid. I didn't. That's shocking. They just stopped paying me. Well, we committed to this house. And I watched God for four years pay a payment on a house that he didn't tell us to buy. <laughs> what he was trying to do, he was setting up his, he was demonstrating his nature and his character. We didn't have any food. And all of a sudden, we hear the doorbell, and we go out to and we look, and nobody's there. And there's a sight of beef. Someone had killed the fatted calf and brought us the half of the calf. I'm like, this is a good day. Honey, we're grilling. I remember when I couldn't pay my taxes. I was mowing lawns. I was doing everything I could. And I only had one promise from God. And he told me, Jeffrey, I'll take care of your taxes. I owed the IRS $2,000. And I had $800. I'm 25 years old. And I'm marching down to April 15th, and I have no idea when April 15th doesn't, you know, comes and goes. I think on April 15th, they're going to walk and ring my doorbell and take me straight to jail. I didn't have the money. And the Lord told me, January, February, March, don't worry, I got this. I got this. And for some reason, I just said, okay. So I'm mowing lawns, and I've got a real estate friend that she's in charge of all these houses she's selling, and some are vacant. When they're vacant, I get to mow the lawn. And so she, she called me and said, hey, in this town, kind of outside of where we live, there's this massive house, and it has this unbelievable big yard, and I want you to mow the lawn. I said, great. So I went out, surveyed, and I came back, and I gave her my price. She goes, you're way too low. Give me something better than that. I mean, she was just really a good friend. I said, charge me. I said, okay. I upped it five bucks, you know, and she said, get out of here. Go mow the lawn. So I went over to my friend's house across the street, and I said, hey, I got a huge job. I need your truck. He goes, I'll be at work. You take it. So I called another friend who had a riding lawnmower. See, I want a little push mowers and that. Riding lawnmower, big, you know, big, wide. She said, come get the lawnmower, and you can, you know, load it up, and you go mow the lawn and bring it back. I said, I'm on it. So I borrow the truck, I go into another neighborhood, I go into her neighborhood, I load up the lawnmower, I go to the other city, I mow the lawn, and I come back, I'm unloading the lawnmower, cleaning it up, putting it in the shed, and I get the tailgate put up, and I climb into the truck, and I pull out of the ditch that I pulled in to load and unload the lawnmower. And one of my ex-youth from the Baptist church pulls up. He has tears streaming down his face. I said, Sean, what's the matter? He pulls out an envelope and said, the Lord told me to give you this. Hands it to me and zipped off. Now, I'm not in my neighbor. I'm in a foreign neighborhood. I thought, that's, that's strange. So I open the envelope and I count out 12 $100 bills. This is a 19-year-old kid that just gave me 1200 bucks. My wife's in the front seat. She's pregnant, really pregnant. When my wife got pregnant, she got really pregnant. <laughs> she had asked me every now and then, can you see my feet? And I said, yep. She said, what do they look like? I said, nope, not touching that one. And she starts crying. I'm like, no, no, no. 
I want to know the rest of the story. I listen to Paul Harvey enough. I'm going to find out the rest of this story. I know where this kid works. I drove right to his work. I got out of the truck, and my pregnant wife waddles in with me. And I go right back to his office, and I said, you're going to tell me the rest of the story, Hot Rod, because I'm not leaving until you do. This is a lot of money for a 19-year-old. What do you think you're doing? And tears are streaming down his face. He said, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God told me to give you that. I said, okay. I received that. How do you find me? He goes, that's a trick. I said, no. I went in my neighborhood. How would you find me? He goes, well, I went to your house rang the doorbell, and you weren't there. I was on the way back. I was going to pull back into work and say, I miss God. And I heard this voice in my head say, if you'll follow that car, I'll take you to him. He followed that car off into another neighborhood. I'm not even in my own vehicle. He said, when I saw the red truck, I knew it was you. When I pulled up, I was overwhelmed that my father wanted to be involved in my life. The $1,200 means nothing to me. That means everything. And I paid the taxes and I didn't go to jail. It was great. I did this for five years. We lived this way for five years. In the midst of that, we started a church. Oh, Mike, it was so fun. My best friends, all of us together, started a church. We wanted to create a place like this place where the Father could do what he wanted, where the Holy Spirit could be himself, and that nobody would give him the Heisman. We wouldn't stiff arm him. We would let him be him. And it blew up in my face. And I lost all of my friends in one day, except for one couple. The bad part is I had to work with them every day. By that time, I had taken a job at a Christian school. I was the athletic director. And all my friends that started the church with were all principals and superintendents of the school. And I had to work with them. And they isolated me and they ostracized me and they said I was full of the devil. And Jenny and I had a ton of peace about what God was doing. We knew that they were moving into something that was really bad. And we tried to tell them and we tried to show them. And then they cornered us and said, are you in or out? And we said, peacefully hey, the Lord's allowed us to step out. We love you. We're not against you. We just can't do what you're asking us to do. It's not what we think the Lord wants to be done. And we peacefully stepped out. And then I had to go work with them. And that was okay. I had peace. It was fine that I was being ostracized and isolated, and they were, they were whispering about me down all the hallways, and they're telling every teacher, you can't talk to him. He's the devil. And I was at peace. And I remember one night I went home, and I became one of the ten with one whisper. I was sitting in my chair. I don't know what was on TV. Jenny and I were starting to do better than we've ever done, because when I started this five-year journey, she looked at me as a nice little Baptist girl, and she said, what are you doing? I said, I don't know. She said, where are you going? I said, I don't know. I just know it's better than where we've been, and I, 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 can't, I can't deny that the truth is here. She goes, I agree. I said, what do you mean? You agree. She goes, I agree. I said, well, how do you know you agree? She goes, because you're loving me now like you've never loved me before. I know there's reality and there's truth in it. Wherever you're going, I'm going to go with you. I said, well, cool. I have no idea where we're going, but come on. 
I knew it was real because there was a little girl in my youth group that nobody liked. She was a real talker. She was full of fear, and nobody wanted to be around her. And I couldn't wait to sit in her presence and love her. Matter of fact, the, the, the pastor that was, full, that was a worship pastor at the Baptist church came to me and said, I've been watching you, and I know something's changed because I see the way you love this little girl, and no one's ever loved this little girl. Matter of fact, no one likes this little girl. She's an irritant to everybody, and you have loved her to life. Whatever you have found, I'm going to follow you. I'm watching you for a little while longer, and I will go wherever you go. I said, I have no idea where I'm going, but I just know it's better than where I've been. And he never came, ever. It's okay. But I remember after that five-year stand, after the church blew up, and I came home, and I was sitting in the chair, and I heard this voice. And this voice said, so, after five years, you gave all of that up. Everything you've done, everything for the Lord, you did all of this, and this is what you get in return? Do you hear it? It's an accusation against my daddy. You give up your entire life, no matter what he asks, you do it. If he asks you to give it away, you gave it away. If he asks you to go serve for free, you go serve for free. It didn't matter what he asked, you did it. And you saw some miraculous things, but this is what you get in return? And this is what I said, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? And then I took the thought, and I began to massage it, and I began to think on it, and it angered me. And then I made this statement. Dad, if this is the way your people act, don't you call me. I'll call you. We're done. And just like that, I shut it off. You know what that cost me? It cost me three years not walking with the Father. Three years. I refused to hear his voice. I refused to walk with him. I refused to read his word. I refused everything. And I looked at Jenny in the middle of that three years. I said, I think it'd be better if you left than stayed. Why don't you go? I'm done. She was backpacking her bags. And the Lord said to her, honey, where are you going? She said, well, he doesn't love me anymore. I'm going to take the kids and I'm going to go to my mom's. He said, Kenny, Jeff's not your problem. Oh, no, Dad, he is my problem. He's a jerk. <laughs> and he's a good one. He said, no, Jenny, he's not your problem. I said, she said, oh, no, I, I really think he is. I said, no, he's not. You know why he's not? She said, no, I, I don't know why he's not. I said, you're the problem, Jenny. She said, what? I said, I need you to be quiet for a while. What? I said, if you'll do what I tell you to do, I'll save your marriage. It's like, it's me. He says, yep, I need you to. And then he, he, he used a harsh word with her. But you understand, when you live by the law, he has to talk by the law. When you live by grace, he speaks with grace. He 
He'll meet you right where you are. So he told her, if you'll shut up, I'll save your marriage. She's like, well, that's kind of offensive. He says, well, you want your marriage or you want to you have what you have? You want to go live with your mother by yourself? She said, nope. So she said, okay. And then she played deal or no deal. Deal. She took it. She only told me positive things for the next two and a half years. Changed the atmosphere in my entire household and set the table so that I could hear the daddy's voice again. And I can tell you the day I heard his voice and I wept like a baby. I missed his voice so much. But it was easy being the 10 that I began to spew things out of my mouth. I began to challenge her no matter what God said. But in the midst of that, I, I got to see something I'd never seen. I was mad at God, but he wasn't mad at me. He took my resume out of a trash can and gave me a job. He doubled my income and then doubled my income again. Then I won a trip to Hawaii. Then I won another trip to Hawaii. While I'm mad, my first commission in my new job was $238. You know what my second commission was? $7,777. If you don't know what the number seven means, go look it up. He started trying to convince me of his nature and his character because he knew I had a deficiency on understanding who he was. This is where the ten found themselves. They were deficient in understanding the nature of God. And when you're deficient in understanding the nature, then it gives the enemy the right to accuse his character, and you'll believe it. When you understand his nature and you understand his character, there's nothing the enemy can say to you about Father. For example, I know my wife pretty well after 33 years. If you come to me and make an accusation against my wife that I know is not true, what do you think I'm going to say? I didn't know that. I'm going to say, you, you're just full of baloney. i got a few other words that might go with that. But you're full of something. I know her. You don't know her. I, I've lived with her for 33 years. You don't know what you're talking about. And it would be easy to defend her at that point. See, when I was sitting in that chair and the enemy whispered, I had no defense because I didn't understand nor trust his nature because I didn't know him well enough. But when you get a glimpse of his nature and you get a glimpse of his character, you'll never be in doubt again. Why didn't Eve wait till the cool of the day to ask God, hey, you know what the snake told me today about you? Would have saved all of us a lot of heartache. I wish she would have done it. Have you ever been one of the two? Mm, it's a lot more fun to be one of the two. You see, they actually got to go in the promised land. I know, they were 80. Hey, I'm 55, it's all right. They had to wait a little while, so they got to go. Did the 10 get to go? They didn't get to go. They missed their destiny on one accusation against the father, and they received it at the wrong time. Have you ever missed anything because you heard the accusation? I've missed a lot. But I hadn't quit. You know, so I'm still standing here talking about it. It means I got up. Okay, don't let that trip you up again. That was stupid. Have you ever watched anybody be part of the two? I got to live with Jenny. You see, when I fell, she rose. What God did in her in the three years that I was down... You don't have time to hear all the stories, but I'm going to tell you something. It was some of the most miraculous work I've ever seen in my life, and I got front row seat being mad watching it. 
It was really cool. I'll never forget, we, uh, she told me, hey, God's going to give you a job. That's when they pulled my resume out of the trash can. And that was miraculous. And then we moved to the city that I told her I wanted to move to. And then we started living where we said we wanted to live. And we started going, she started going to church because, you know, I'm mad at God. I ain't going to church. You know, God could be there. I don't want to talk to him. He might want to talk to me. I don't want to talk to him. But in this whole process, I'm learning about his nature and character, and he's showing and demonstrating to me. And she tells me we've been living in this little rental house for about three years. And she comes to me one day, and she says, uh, hey, uh, Dad told me he's going to give us a house. I said, okay. We've, we've gone through this before. We lived in a mobile home. We'd had a foreclosure. We lived in a mobile home a few years before this, and I watched God miraculously give us a house. I mean, I've told you that story in the past. Well, this is the second time. She comes to me, and she says, hey, um, Dad said he's going to give us a house. I said, great. And uh, I said, well, you kind of need a couple of things, cash, credit, and uh, we don't have cash, we don't have credit, and we don't have, you know, the down payment and all that. And she says, it doesn't matter. He's going to give it to us like he did before. And I said, well, okay. I, I think you're foolish, but it worked before. So I, I, I drive out that morning. At this time, I'm a drug dealer. So I've got a bunch of drugs in the back. For those of you who don't know, it's pharmaceuticals, it's legal. And I'm going to go trade some drugs with some other guy that has drugs. He has drugs that I need. I have drugs he needs. And we're going to do some drug swapping. So she just told me this. The Lord is going to give us a house. He's already told me it's going to happen. And I, I take out my little Camry, and I'm going across Dallas-Fort Worth, over to the Fort Worth side to get drugs. And I pass this sign on the road that said, house for sale. No credit check, no down payment, and low monthly payments. And I drive right past the sign. I am not going into that neighborhood. I swap the drugs and I pull in. And I walk into this house that's unlocked. It's at the end of a cul-de-sac where her kids can play. It's exactly what we want. I got in my car, and I rushed home. And she's like, what are you doing here? And I said, she saw the look on my face. She goes, what? I said, I saw it. She goes, you did? I said, yeah. She goes, I know the Lord said it. Take me right now. Man, we loaded up all the kids. We drove right to the house. She walked into the house and burst out in song. I don't know if you know my wife can sing, but my wife can sing like an angel. She's got the gift. I mean, when you're a Baptist pastor, you got to marry somebody that can sing, okay? <laughs> Just the way it works. She burst out in song, and she's in this house, and she's walking around, and she goes, yes, Lord, I receive it, and this is our house. And then, man, she starts marching around like Jericho. I said, don't knock the walls down, baby. We won't keep this thing together. And then she's, she's going to town on it, and she's liking it, and she said, this is it. Call the number, and we're moving in. Okay. So I called the number, and, and we'd had a foreclosure. You know, that house that God didn't tell us to buy, what we had to have, because we had to keep up with the Joneses. I mean, when you're in the Baptist church, if you don't know anything, you've got to look good. So we bought way too much house, and we're stupid, and, you know, we just made every mistake, but God wasn't mad. 
It was all right. And so we're, we're walking in this house, and then I call the number, and I tell them all the information, and they say, we'll get back to you, Mr. Drott. And within a couple of days, they called and said, Mr. Drott, um, we hate to inform you, but you don't qualify. I said, whoa, whoa, you said there was no qualification. There was no down payment. There was this little pick up the payments and move in. I'm ready to pick up the payments and move in. You lied to me. Mr. Drott, we can't help you. Click. Hold the phone. I got somebody for false advertising. So I have to break the news to my wife. I'm living with Joshua and Caleb right now. Um, I don't want to bring a bad report, but guess what? They said, well, no. She goes, it doesn't matter. I said, what do you mean it doesn't matter? It does matter a lot. They, they're the one that had the key. They're not going to give us the key. They have the key. We don't get the key. We don't get to move. And she said, doesn't matter what you say. I already know what he said. I'm holding it. But God. I said, Okay. So for three, two or three months, we, we kept driving. That house is vacant. She goes, nobody's moving to my house. I mean, that's my house. It, I, I don't care. If they try to move in that house, they're going to get rejected and they're going to move out because I'm moving in that house. That's my house. I know what daddy said. And one night, we're on a date night. We drive by, and somebody moved into our house. And we, we were sitting outside in the cul-de-sac in the car. And I went, OMG. And she goes dead quiet. This is unusual for a woman that likes to talk. And I can, you can feel the atmosphere in the car change. It's like, not a good time to say anything right now. Like, I told you so. That would not, I mean, I'd probably see out of this eye about the third day when the swelling went down. It just wouldn't be a good moment to bring this up. So we drive home, total silence. And immediately get out of the car. She goes in the house and goes straight to bed. Children, don't speak to mama. Come here. You speak to mama right now, and you will die. Okay? Just trust me on this. And all my little girls looking at me like, yes, daddy, what's the matter? I said, shh, we can't talk about it. My wife in those days woke up about 3 to 4 o'clock in the morning every morning because she wanted time with the Lord. And she'd go into the house that we were living in. <coughs> They, they enclosed the garage, and in the garage, it was, they really insulated it well. You couldn't hear the piano playing. She would go in every morning and worship and spend two or three hours with Daddy before any child got up. She heard his voice all the time. <coughs> this particular morning, she got up about 3.30. She went in. She sat in the room, but not at the piano. The Lord said to her, aren't you going to play for me? Nope. Not playing for you today. No, I want you to play for me. Nope. I'm mad at you. You make me look foolish. You tell me things, I believe what you said, and you make me look foolish. Somebody moved into my house. He said, I want you to play for me. I'm not playing for you. I want you to play for me. Sing to me. Okay. So he starts worshiping. In the middle of the worship, this is what the Father says. Jenny, what do you really want? See, that was a four-bedroom, two-and-a-half bathhouse. She says, I want really five bedrooms and three full baths. He goes, ask me for it. He goes, seriously? Yep. It wasn't that house. It was the house right behind it. 
We moved in in 90 days. I got full loan. One I couldn't qualify for. Now I'm qualified. And I buy a bigger house with five bedrooms, three full baths. Every child has their own bedroom. And God said, ask me for it. And I'll give it to you. That's when you get to live with Joshua and Caleb and you get the benefit of it when you're mad at God. And it's really fun to live with Joshua and Caleb because you get to go in the promised land even though you're hacked off. What is he whispering to you? Can you hear an accusation against the father tonight? What has the father told you? What's the enemy saying against that? Because I promise you, once the father promises you something, the enemy's coming. Who do you allow to speak into your life about the nature of God? Who? Who do you allow to tell you about God's nature? I'm going to give you a warning tonight. Do not let anybody rent space in your brain who does not know the nature of God. How do you know if they know the nature of God? You'll see the fruit. It's always peace, love, joy, patience, and all the benefits that come with God. If you allow anybody to rent space in your brain about the nature of God who doesn't know God, this is what you're going to get. Fear, intimidation, and worry, stress, all that comes with it. God will never. Don't get your hopes up. Don't allow that to happen because you're going to get disappointed. I promise you that person does not know God. Don't let them do it. You'll get statements like this. Do you remember when Katrina rolled through New Orleans? This is the statements of people who don't know the character of God. Well, that's God's judgment on New Orleans. I raise my hand to the teacher and I say, well, why would he stop at New Orleans? Wouldn't he go to uh, Houston? I've been to Houston. It's just as bad. Why would he stop in Houston? Wouldn't he come to Dallas? You know what they just said? God's still judging sin and sinners. Guess what? He already put all that judgment on Jesus. My father's not judging sin and sinners anymore. He already judged Jesus, and he judged him fair. And his blood paid the price for sin. It's over with. Done. Anybody accuses you again that your sin has kept you from the father, that he doesn't even hear your prayer, they don't know his character nor his nature. And they're telling you a lie. It's the same thing that they do as this. I've heard it hundreds of times as a pastor. It makes me sick to my stomach, but I hear it hundreds of times. God is sovereign. Normally the statement right before they tell a child, God took your mommy because he needed a flower in heaven. And I want to knock them right in the mouth. How dare you tell one of the children of God that God took their mom or dad because he needed them in heaven. You just told that child, why don't you hate God the rest of your life because he needed your mommy more than you did. Give me a break. Ridiculous. All under the title of he's sovereign. Hey, I agree he's sovereign. That means he's at the top of the food chain. That doesn't mean he starts killing people. Come on. Wake up. The enemy's after your relationship with God, and if you can give it to him, he'll take it. Stop it. You need to go get to know who your father is. If I asked you tonight to do a homework and an assignment, to go home tonight and write down every attribute, every characteristic, every part of God's nature, what, how long would it take you to put it on the page? Listen, here's my encouragement to you tonight. I want you to catch this. Go find out his nature. Go find out his nature. And the enemy will never talk you out of it again.
It'll never cost you your relationship and all the promises that God has given you. You'll be able to stand when all the circumstances around you say it won't work. And you go, <laughs> it will work. I watched Jenny. It was the most beautiful thing I've ever watched. When I got up the next morning, I expected to see her mad. And I looked in her eyes and I said, he talked to you again, didn't he? I said, yeah. I said, that house wasn't ours. It's, it's a better house. We need five bedrooms. We don't need four. And we're moving soon, so you better start packing. Ninety days later, we moved. Why? Because she refused to give up on what she heard. We as the people of God too many times too easily give up on what we've heard or we don't take the time to go here. Your daddy has many, 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 many promises for you. He has a plan. He has promises that go with the plan and he wants to tell you, will you take the time to go listen? Once you do, I'm warning you, the enemy will come to steal it because he doesn't want you to have what God wants for you. If you understand his nature, you won't be talked out of it ever again. Go find the nature of God. So, okay, where do I find that? Who do I trust? I listen to a guy who talks about it. He's got a lot of fruit to go with it, and I've told you about him before. His name's Andrew Womack. Go to awmi.net and go down to audio teachings, and he's got five sermons on the nature of God itself. Go listen to that to be a start. I want to say it again, awmi.net. Go down to the, on the first page, scroll down to the bottom, and it'll say audio teachings. On those audio teachings, click and scroll down to the T's, because it's in the T's, the true nature of God. If you want to know what God is really like, go, just go listen. He's got five, over five hours of teaching on that one topic. It's worth every minute that you give it. And what it will do is it will strengthen you so when the devil whispers to you, you'll go, you absolutely don't know God, do you? He would have killed me in Egypt if he was a killer. He's a liberator. That's why he liberated, delivered, and sent me to the promised land. And that's why the 20-year-olds and below all got in. Because God's nature. There's other circumstances. There's tons of situations. If you can't get to awmi.net, why don't you just read everything that Jesus did in the three and a half years that he lived. Everything that he said and everything that he did was a true reflection of God's nature. There's not one thing that he said and not one thing that he did did not reflect the Father. What he was on, it was a glorified display rack of this is who God is. You want to know God? This is what he does. Every person that was sick got healed. Every person that was under bondage got set free. Any person that needed to be saved got saved. If you wanted to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you got filled with the Holy Spirit. If you wanted to know God, he opened the door and said, here he is. This is who he is, and he's wonderful. Amen? How many, anybody in the room tonight really struggling with a circumstance from the enemy? If you are, I'm just going to ask you just to stand where you are. Anybody else struggling? The enemy's whispering to you. He's, he's attacking one of the promises that you know you've heard. He's after it. He's, he's character assassinating the father to you. I'm exposing him tonight to say to you, don't take this lie ever again. Stop it. Holy Spirit, Every person that's standing saying to you, 
I want to go with God. I want to learn. I want to know. I want to walk with a father of fathers. You've brought Jesus away for us to know him. So I ask tonight, every part of the lie that they're being whispered to stops tonight in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, I ask you to begin to reinforce what they originally heard, the original promise that they could stand with. I ask you to reinforce it, send signs, send wonders, send visions, open heavens, angelic visitations to reinforce the nature of God. He's not a liar. He's full of love. He's full of joy. He's got great plans. He wants the best for you. He wants to do things in your life that you can't do yourself to show himself mighty on your behalf. He paid a high price to have a relationship with you. Holy Spirit, I ask you to do it. I ask it in Jesus' name.